The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to kick off the holiday trading week on a high note, teeing up an historically strong period for the stock market. Futures, by the way, are higher today. Top on investors' minds this week, President Biden's choosing the next Federal Reserve chief. Former Kansas City Fed President Thomas Honig lays out who could land the president's pick. A violent weekend in Europe as protesters take to the streets to denounce the return of COVID restrictions there. We are live in the region with the latest. Activision Blizzard's embattled CEO reportedly weighing a potential exit as his company remains embroiled in a wave of internal issues and get ready to pay more for that Thanksgiving dinner. The CEO of grocery chain Stu Leonard's lays out just how much more it could cost for Turkey and all the fixings this year. It's Monday, November 22nd. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up on this holiday shortened trading week. Stock futures indicating at least some decent gains at the opening bell. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 133 points. The S&P by roughly 16 and the Nasdaq by about 70 points or so. This was after the S&P was able to eke out a gain of about a third of a percent last week. Tech was the big winner, up more than a percent, as you can see there, while the Dow was down by a similar amount, notching its second consecutive weekly decline. Let's get a check on the bond market as well. Right now, the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note is currently yielding 1.57%. The two-year note yield just a hair above 53 basis points or 0.53%. And the 30-year long bond, 1.93%. You're seeing an elevation of yields across all parts of the yield curve. We also want to get a check on oil prices at this point on reports that Japan is possibly working to release oil from its strategic reserves following that request to do so by President Biden. Currently, WTI U.S. benchmark crude $76.19 for the January futures, up about a third of 1%. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $79.09. That's up about one quarter of 1%. Let's also get a check on crypto prices amid a volatile weekend for the action in digital assets. Bitcoin prices right now down by nearly 4 percent, 57,218. Ethereum, Ether prices, 4192 rather, down 4 percent as well. Litecoin, uh, many parts of the crypto spectrum also down on the session. Let's now go worldwide. Stocks in Asia kicking the week off on a mostly higher note, as you can see there. South Korea's Kospi index climbing nearly one and a half percent while the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was the lone laggard really in the region there, down by about a half a percent on its own there. Let's get a look at the early trade in Europe right now, mostly higher as we spin that globe across to the European side of things, mostly higher across the region, some notable declines there on Italy, as you can see. Now to some of your morning's top stories, including the Biden administration's apparent new steps over ongoing inflation issues. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana. 
Hey, Dom, good morning. So the Washington Post is reporting that the White House is weighing whether to ramp up an attack on parts of corporate America over rising consumer prices. The Post, citing an administration official and other insiders, says several outsiders have pitched the idea to administration officials. The report says the White House would amplify criticisms of large firms and heavily concentrated industries for passing higher prices on to consumers as they benefit from high profits, but stresses the move could backfire if it angers the firms the administration is depending on to resolve supply chain pressures ahead of the holidays. Turning to the president's pick of the next Fed chief, that same Washington Post report is shedding some light on the race between presumed favorites Jerome Powell and Lael Brainerd. The Post says in a meeting Monday at the White House between Biden and a group of 10 centrist senators, the president gave compliments that were highly complimentary of Powell. Powell's current four-year term expires early next year, and the president is expected to announce who he will nominate to lead the Fed this week. And shares of Evergrande closing lower today after Hong Kong's benchmark Hang Seng announced it will remove the troubled Chinese real estate developer from one of its indexes. The index provider did not give a reason for the decision to remove Evergrande from the 50-stock China Enterprises Index. The company's stock is down more than 80 percent year-to-date amid its ongoing debt problems. Dom, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Silvana Hinao. It's a holiday shortened trading week, but the markets closed on Thanksgiving Day Thursday. Since 1992, the U.S. stock exchanges have put in a half day of action on Black Friday. That's typically meant a whole week of low volume, but not to necessarily some bad performance for the markets. The folks over at Bespoke Investment Group say that since 1945, The S&P 500 has averaged a gain of about six-tenths of one percent for the entire holiday-shortened week. The best returns coming on Wednesday and Black Friday, with the only declines on Monday. But over the past 20 years, gains have shifted to Mondays. Shocking. I don't know what's going on there. With small declines on Tuesday and rallies on Wednesday and Friday, the seasonality is a very curious thing. Will that trend be our friend this year? Let's bring in Bill Stone, the chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust. I I mean, seasonality is something that I used to look at a lot, not because it's the gospel, not because it tells you for sure what happens, but it gives you an idea. Do you feel generally bullish about this holiday trading season? Well, I certainly, you know, typically the holidays are good for the markets. You know, we've talked for a long time about the Santa Claus rally as well. Um, So I think you I think it's worth thinking about it as a tailwind. I think separately. Certainly, the economic backdrop in general is very good. You know, the retail sales were phenomenal last week. I don't expect to see a real problem with the economic data. What's really the kind of cloud that's tough to know is how much this kind of lockdown from Europe is going to worry the markets. We really saw it at the end of last week. Things were all looking rosy, and then that kind of came across. So that's a tough one to predict. But obviously, this morning, at least, it looks uh, like uh, a little bit of the cloud has lifted. I was going to say, Bill, because I'm looking at the uh, the heat maps around the world right now, it doesn't appear as though even in Europe they're, con- they're that concerned about what's happening in, in Austria and, and maybe some of the chatter coming about other countries imposing maybe lockdown lights, if you will. I- if that's the case... Are we still in a constructive phase overall, especially maybe here in the U.S. with growth concerns coming front and center again? I think we are in a constructive phase. because, Like I said, you're seeing the economy actually accelerate here into the fourth quarter. Um, I, I, my kind of thought has been, 
you'd be more worried about the market if you had this inflationary environment and, you know, slowing growth or very poor growth. When you have good growth, you see it show up, obviously, in the earnings, and then the market kind of shrugs off those, even though, you know, people, we, we all worry about the inflation. But at the end of the day, inflation and growth is okay together, particularly, obviously, if it's not completely out of control inflation, obviously. But uh, I think that's good. It's a poor combination of having, you know, let's call it stagflation, which we're, we're not near right now. You know, we, we've been reporting a lot over the last couple of weeks about the, the, the tug of war, the push and pull between the, the reopening trade stocks like airlines, cruise lines, hospitality and versus the stay at home stocks like Zoom communications, like Peloton, like DocuSign, Chewy and others. I, I, it's a battle right now. Who do you think wins? Are, are we still in this reopening phase right now that's been going on for a year and a half? I know you would have thought it'd be over by now. I thought I would have put away my reopening monitors and everything else by now. But um, I still think you play the economic opening. You know, I still think the the more cyclical side of things is, is got some some life left in it. Because, again, we keep getting these worries washing across that the economic growth might be impinged by more lockdowns, et cetera. So I think, you know, you saw it last week, right? The technology did great. You saw banks get hit hard, industrials not trade as well. So I think it, it is worth looking at some of these more cyclicals like the industrials and the financials, because uh, I think there's something more left there. All right, Bill Stone at Glenview. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. When we come back on the show, reading the Fed tea leaves, former Kansas City Fed President Thomas Honig, you're seeing him there, lays out which direction he thinks the president may go with his pick. Is it Powell? Is it Brainerd? Is it somebody else? Plus, a live report from Europe following a violent weekend of protests over fresh COVID restrictions over on that side of the pond. And then later on, Walt Disney World hitting the pause button over its own vaccine mandates. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. A violent weekend in parts of Europe amid protests against new COVID restrictions being imposed there. The backlash comes as health officials warn of more deaths related to the virus. Karen Cho joins us now from London with the details on these demonstrations. And Karen, what exactly can countries do about some of these many, many gripes that citizens have about these fresh restrictions? 
Dom, it is a challenge. And going into the weekend, we were bracing for some form of fallout as new restrictions were announced. And first up, let's just take a look at what took place with Austria. They've entered into a fourth national lockdown due to the current pandemic wave. Now, people have been asked to work from home while non-essential shops will be closed. According to the Chancellor, Alexander Schellenberg, the lockdown would run for a maximum of 20 days. The big question is whether 20 days will do the trick and whether we'll see a reopening from here. Now, all this has Many cities in Europe have been rocked by protests against expanding COVID measures. In Belgium, protesters clashed with police after tens of thousands of people gathered in a march through the city centre. Meanwhile, demonstrations continued for a third day in the Netherlands, following violent scenes and dozens of arrests in Rotterdam and The Hague, with thousands more gathering in Amsterdam over the weekend. Meanwhile, in Italy and Rome, large crowds gathered objecting to the enforcement of COVID passes. So what you've got, various different countries across Europe contending with this wave. You're seeing hospitals in some of these places overloaded with patients falling ill with COVID, despite the fact that there's been some vaccinations. But the market this time round, if you take a look at the Monday trade, it has been much better than how we wrapped up the trading week as investors were concerned about how the story would progress. A rational approach has now prevailed. And you can see we're actually trading in the green at this stage, Don. So, Karen, I mean, we tend to talk about Europe as a a whole entity, but really we're talking about these types of countries being individual on their own. Yet I'm looking at the map behind you. Right. And everybody's connected to each other. They're all sovereign nations, but they can move for the most part freely among all of them. Do these demonstrations really boil down to country by country issues with regard to policy and some of the reactions that the citizens have to those individual policies. Uh, Dom, that is a great point, because last time around, uh, you think about when we first went into the pandemic, Europe was a collective. You saw rising caseloads, and it was just a matter of weeks before other countries caught on. They had the same problem. But if you look at it this time, you've got very different vaccination rates across Europe. There's a lot of skepticism in some of the German-speaking nations, a lot of populist voices at play. And if you talk about Austria in particular, which has the worst situation right now, it does have a low vaccination rate, and we're at about 65.5% versus much higher cases. For instance, in uh, uh, Portugal, you've got a vaccination rate there of 86%, so quite a gap. And even in Italy, it's 74%. So it is very different across these individual countries. And, uh, of course, the use of a, a health pass has been very specific to some of these individual countries too. If you've had the vaccination, you get the COVID pass and you're able to go out and circulate. So this time around, as we look at the economic ramifications, it is very country-specific, Don. Absolutely. And certain things that you can do in Europe that you certainly could not do here in the United States. Karen Cho in London, thank you very much for the latest there on the COVID pandemic. Still on deck for the show, Adele flexing her mic, getting Spotify to hit pause on its shuffle button. Details on what that means and the morning's other top trending stories that's coming up. Today's big number. $198.8 billion. That's the total amount of bonds issued by oil and gas companies in 2020. A new record according to data from DealLogic. That's up 60% over the prior year and more than double the 20-year average. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning to you. We start with breaking news overnight. Tragedy in Wisconsin. Several people are dead and at least 40 more are hurt. And a warning, some of the video we're about to show you may be tough to watch. An SUV drove through a holiday parade in Waukesha. That's about uh, 20 miles west of Milwaukee, killing at least five people and injuring more than 40 others. According to four senior law enforcement officials briefed on the incident, a person of interest who may have a significant criminal history is in custody and is being questioned. They believe the person may have been involved in a knife fight and fled the scene before crashing into the crowd. A press conference is expected later today. A major development in the tennis world, the International Olympic Committee says Peng Shui is safe. Members of the IOC, including President Thomas Bach, held a video call with the tennis star. In a statement, the IOC said Peng is living in her home in Beijing and would like her privacy respected. The call appears to be the first direct contact with Peng by sports officials since her sexual assault allegations against a former high-ranking Chinese official earlier this month. This comes days after the UN called for an investigation into Peng's allegations. Switching gears now to week 11 in the NFL and an electric finish in Los Angeles to cap off a wild Sunday in the NFL. Austin Eckler ran for two touchdowns and caught two more to keep the Chargers in the driver's seat. But in the fourth, here come the Steelers. Pittsburgh erased a 17-point deficit and taking the lead with under four minutes to go. But Justin Herbert wouldn't let the Steelers rob a win from them, hitting Mike Williams for the go-ahead touchdown giving that L.A. the 41 to 37 win. Dom, for a Monday morning, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. What an interesting week it's been for football and all these other sports. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera. Let's get to some of today's top trending stories, which include a record-setting constitutional sale, a shockingly speedy airplane, and Spotify turning tables. Silvana Hanau is here with more on those stories. Silvana. Um, yeah, so Sotheby's announcing its auctions pulled in over $1.1 billion just last week. Those sales were helped by a sale of a rare first printing of the Constitution, which became the most valuable historical document sold at auction at $43.2 million. That Constitution was purchased by Ken Griffin of Citadel Securities, who outbidded a group of crypto investors after an eight-minute bidding battle. Griffin intends to lend the piece to a free art museum in Arkansas. Rolls-Royce saying it has made the world's fastest all-electric aircraft after its airplane reached a maximum speed of about 387 miles per hour. Rolls-Royce will be submitting claims for three world records, including top speed and the speed at which the plane climbed 3,000 meters. And Adele persuading Spotify to remove the automatic shuffle option on album pages. The Grammy winner telling the streaming company that artists put effort into the order of their tracks. Adele's new album was available on Spotify from its release on Friday, six years after her previous album became the fastest-selling album in British history, available only to be bought physically or downloaded. 
dumb. Adele gets what she wants. I, I, she does. And, and because <laughs> she's she's I mean, she's an amazing, amazing yes, artist, and an amazing incredible. singer. But I, I don't know how you feel about this for, for my music. If it's uh, if I'm the consumer of it and, and I want something shuffled because maybe I like all of the songs on a particular album. I think it should be my choice whether I should be able to shuffle them in random and random and, and, and how I want to do it versus oh, totally, maybe totally. what the artist intends. I mean, I, I, listen always, one, I, mean two, I always three. listen to, to like new albums. I do listen to them in order, but I agree. I mean, we definitely should be able to decide how we want to listen to it. I mean, so. for me, I just I kind of feel like it's the consumer choice, yeah, right? I'm paying for the album. I'm yes. paying for these tracks, and I should be able to listen to them. <laughs> Absolutely. How I yep. <laughs> All right, Silvana, thank you very much for those trending stories. It, Still ahead on the show, the clock is ticking for Congress to strike a deal to avoid. Yes, we're there again. Avoid defaulting on the government's debt limit. Just how long lawmakers actually have to get the job done? The ticker, the talk clock is ticking, if you will. And if you haven't already done so, speaking of music and audio, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Markets looking to repeat history and tack on gains amid the holiday-shortened trading week. Futures suggesting that may be the case as they point to gains at the opening bell. The future of the Fed set to be decided this week as President Biden prepares to name his next central bank chief and policy moving forward. And past the turkey and higher prices as we gear for Thanksgiving, the dramatic impact inflation is having on the cost of your holiday meal. It's Monday, November 22nd. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Monday morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures, as I just showed you, pointed to some gains at the opening bell. You can see here the Dow is implied higher by roughly 145 points. The S&P higher by 17 and the Nasdaq higher by just about 65 at this stage. Now, as we mentioned earlier in the show, it is a holiday shortened trading week with the markets closed on Thanksgiving Day, Thursday. And according to data from Bespoke Investment Group, since 1945, the S&P 500 has averaged a gain of just about six-tenths of a percent for the entire holiday week. The best returns coming on Wednesday and Black Friday with the only decline on Monday. But over the past 20 years, gains have shifted to Mondays with smaller declines on Tuesday and then rallies on Wednesday and Friday. So a bit of movement there, but still a seasonably strong week for the stock market. Now to more of your morning's top stories. Silvana now is back with those. Silvana. Dom, so Activision Blizzard's embattled CEO is reportedly weighing a possible exit amid the company's ongoing internal problems. According to the Wall Street Journal, Bobby Kotick has told senior managers he would consider leaving if he can't fix the issues plaguing the video game giant. The journal added that Kotick, who has led Activision for three decades, stopped short of saying he would step down, but left the possibility open if misconduct issues across the company weren't fixed with speed. Kotick has faced calls to resign over how he and the company have handled problems, including allegations of sexual misconduct. Health officials are urging caution heading into the Thanksgiving holiday amid a rise in the number of COVID cases. Nationally, the seven-day average for new cases is under 95,000, a roughly 22 percent increase from two weeks before. That's still better than a year ago when the, when the U.S. was recording 160,000 new daily cases. 
Officials say areas including the Midwest, New England and the Southwest in particular are dealing with surges. Amid those upticks, Disney World is halting its vaccine mandate for employees. The move comes after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill banning businesses from requiring vaccinations without exemptions. Disney telling The Washington Post it will address legal developments as appropriate, but argued that their approach to mandatory vaccines has been the right one. Dom. All right, Silvana, hey now, thank you very much for those. Now to Washington, D.C., as Senate Democratic leaders try to rally party members in support of President Biden's $2 trillion social spending package with the aim of passing it before the year ends. As if that wasn't enough for the party, lawmakers are also up against the clock as the deadline to raise the U.S.'s debt limit quickly approaches again. Elon Moy joins us now with more on the busy agenda for Congress. Good morning, Elon. Well, good morning, Dan. You're right. Top Senate Democrat Chuck Schumer is still pledging to pass the social spending package by Christmas. It has privileged status in the Senate, which means it'll go straight to the floor whenever lawmakers are ready to take it up. Look, everyone knows the House did a very strong bill. Everyone knows that Manchin and Cinema have their concerns, but we're going to try to negotiate with them and get a very strong, bold bill out of the Senate. But the Senate also has a lot of other stuff to work through first. There's the defense bill, government funding runs out on December the 3rd, and Treasury wants Congress to raise the debt limit again by December the 15th. After that, it can't guarantee there's going to be enough money to pay the nation's bills. So we teamed up with a bipartisan policy center to figure out how much room Treasury has left to run. Our new debt limit tracker shows that Treasury has $325 billion left in cash and extraordinary measures. Now, it started with $580 billion from the last time Congress raised the debt limit a month ago. So we're still in the green, but getting closer to the yellow zone, which is roughly enough money to last for two weeks. The red zone is anything below $100 billion, which is where we had gotten before Congress acted the last time. Now, there has been some progress on negotiations this time around. Schumer and GOP leader Mitch McConnell met to discuss the debt limit before they left for recess. And Don McConnell called this a good conversation. So perhaps a small light at the end of the tunnel there. So, 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 Alan, I guess I'm curious. You showed the, I guess, thermometer, speedometer, whatever we want to call that measure of when we ran out of money. How long could the money last? Well, I think that our tracker really shows why this is such a moving target. The Bipartisan Policy Center estimates the range for when we could actually hit the debt limit, that X date, is anywhere between mid-December and early February. And that's because that dial can move forward, obviously, as Treasury spends money, but it can also move backward as more tax revenue comes into Treasury. So this really is a day-by-day accounting of how much money Treasury has and when it could possibly run out. So that's why we've created um, this sort of dial so investors can have a much better picture of how to capture that moving target. And a lot of variables there for sure. Elon Moy, thank you very much for that. President Biden is also expected to announce his nomination for Fed chair in the next few days, just to add on to the Washington agenda, with Jay Powell's term expiring in February. The decision has faced scrutiny among lawmakers and advisors, with some, including Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, hoping to maintain continuity at the Federal Reserve and avoid politicizing future policy decisions. Let's bring in now former Kansas Federal Reserve President and CEO Thomas Honig. Uh, This is such a fascinating story right now because it's about people and two people who have a lot of Fed experience. 
Why is this such a big deal for markets right now between Biden, Powell and Brainerd? Who ends up getting this, in your opinion? Well, it's a big deal because there is so much ahead for the Federal Reserve in terms of the inflationary outbreak, for example. And then the other is how banks and the financial system is going to be uh, regulated and supervised in the future. You have Powell, who and Powell and um, Leo Brainerd are very similar in terms of their monetary policy, but there are important differences in their attitude towards how these institutions should be supervised. And when you think about it, uh, it's that's that's not as big a deal in the sense that uh, their their biggest headache ahead is trying to deal with the uh, emerging inflation and the economy going forward. So um, when it comes past that, then it's a matter of um, party uh, loyalties and, and, and as they move forward from this point forward. But the big deal in monetary policy, I don't think there's a lot of difference between the two. Is, in, in your mind, is there, a, is there a clear cut, better choice, one or the other? Is, is, is something happening right now with regard to uh, Jerome Powell's you know, tenure here that, that, that sheds some light on whether or not he should be the, the future Fed share, or, or whether or not there, there needs to be some kind of changing of the guard, or is that lack of continuity going to be something even more of a concern than, than trying to make things somewhat different for the Fed? I don't think the, the continuity issue is as big a deal as some are saying it is, because in monetary policy, there is a, a very similar uh, approach and philosophy between the two. I think that the big differences are in the supervision, but the reason you have the kind of the attention to it is the uncertainty about it. No one knows exactly which will be chosen and what it means for the for Wall Street and the institutions. But as far as policy going forward, they both are going to be, I think, approaching it in the same manner. You have some outbreak in inflation. You have uh, the issue of tapering and whether or not you raise rates sooner or later. They're going to approach it the same. And I, I think um, there's not a whole lot of difference. There's not a light, not a lot of light between them. So, so if there's if there's not a lot of light between them, then, then let's focus on the policies that they will be. Whoever is going to be heading the Fed will be battling. You, you mentioned the inflation thing. If right. it is, do, do you feel as though this inflationary picture is truly transitory, or is it something more structural that we could see? developing more in in the coming quarters and years. I point to lumber prices, which were sky high at one point. They've fallen right back down to earth. There are some signs maybe that the oil market's starting to cool off. It's still hot, but cool off a little bit. Is this transitory or is it not? I think it's more than transitory. Yes, prices will go up and down, but overall prices are rising still. And they're going to have to do more than just wait it out and think that uh, it'll take care of itself. They have there's some endemic issues with inflation. First of all, you have more than a decade of uh, asset inflation that has been going on uh, in housing, commercial real estate, uh, agricultural land, art, uh, the stock market itself. So there's a lot of momentum for uh, asset inflation, which is now carrying over into goods inflation. And it, those goods inflation, when you think about it, we had a uh, in the last 20 months or so, we've had in this country, more than six trillion additional dollars of COVID relief brought. I think we've lost. I think we've lost Thomas Honig. We're, we're going to try to get him back. But but in the meantime, the, the conversation right now about the Fed is something where we're trying to figure out whether or not that inflationary picture is something where the Fed has to perhaps 
perhaps act a little bit more forcefully in the coming months and years. So if this is a situation right now where we do have easy interest rate policy that's been in place for over a decade now, leading to something perhaps bubble-wise in certain asset classes, as Thomas Honig just pointed out. It could be something to watch there for sure. But we're going to try to get Thomas Honig back. In the meanwhile, coming up on the show, Thanksgiving dinner coming at a cost this year. Speaking of inflation, amid higher food prices across the board, the CEO of Stu Leonard's grocery chain lays out where customers may be hit the hardest. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top stories this morning, private equity firm KKR making a $12 billion offer to take Italy's biggest phone group, Telecom Italia, private. The move comes as Telecom Italia's CEO faces pressure from top investor Vivendi following two profit warnings in the past three months. Also, Ericsson striking a deal to buy cloud communications firm Vonage for $6.2 billion. The deal by the Swedish mobile telecoms equipment maker comes after last year's deal to buy U.S.-based wireless networking company Cradlepoint for $1.1 billion. Those Vonage shares you can see up 26% in the pre-market trade. And moviegoers not afraid of any ghosts. Ghostbusters Afterlife debuting at the top spot at the box office, pulling in $44 million. That did top expectations. I ain't afraid of no ghost. Well, what exchange is back in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and a holiday-shortened trading week. We are going to kick things off in the green right now. The Dow is implied higher by 138 points, the S&P by 16, and the Nasdaq by roughly 69 points. And looking at the gainers right now for the Dow Jones in the pre-market trade, it's Merck, Boeing, J.P. Morgan Chase, Disney, and Nike all up between a half and one full percent. As for the S&P 500, check out APA Corp. On the energy side of things, also Tesla, Moderna, Wynn Resorts, and Generac all up between 1.5% and 3%. The Nasdaq 100 gainers, you can see there, Tesla, Moderna, NetEase, NVIDIA, and Splunk. Let's continue our conversation with former Kansas City Fed President and CEO Thomas Honig. I'm sorry that we lost you there for a second, but I'd like to get in one final question, if you wouldn't mind. I wonder... When we talk about Powell versus Brainerd, the policy you have, they're not going to be that much different. You mentioned asset bubbles. Let's tie it all together. Is there any downside? And I ask this because I truly want to hear your thoughts. Is there any downside to keeping easy monetary policy for the foreseeable future, given that nothing has really, quote unquote, gone wrong since then? I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek as well, because we do know there's a huge debate about this kind of policy and what it does for the future of our country. Yes, there are some real risks on the downside. One is you have the inflation already out, so it's becoming embedded into the system. And while we are getting some of the, the uh, logistics issues on supply addressed, there's still the, the fact that we've uh, added $6 trillion of spending in the last 20 months. We've added the, to the nation's debt were approaching $30 trillion up from 24 when before this thing started or 25. Uh, this means that there's a lot of inflation momentum going forward. And I think the Fed is going to have a really difficult time uh, easing out of their accommodative policy. It's been so uh, extraordinarily easy uh, without some uh, disruptions, some risk for uh, uh uncertainty and financial um, uh, volatility. So they have a they have a real strong, difficult uh, 12 to 24 months ahead of them, I believe. And so 
whoever it is, whether it's Powell or Leo Brainer, they're going to have their hands full and um, they're going to need uh, a lot of support from the Congress who's wanting to add more spending, which is their right. But the infrastructure bill has yet to be spent. We're in the middle of this um, Build Back Better legislation. That's another two to four trillion, depending on who you really talk to about it. So they have some real challenges, and inflation is an issue, I think, for the United States going forward. There's going to be no doubt it's going to be complex for sure. Uh, Former Kansas City Fed President Thomas Honig, thank you very much for your thoughts, sir. We we appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thanks. So if you've been to the grocery store, speaking of, recently to get the goods for your Thanksgiving dinner, you've probably noticed some items costing a lot more this year amid ongoing inflation and supply chain headaches that Thomas Honig just spoke about. In fact, a recent survey from the American Farm Bureau Federation is revealing that the cost of this year's Thanksgiving dinner is already up 14, one four percent from last year. For more, let's bring in Stu Leonard Jr., the CEO and president of Stu Leonard's grocery chain. You know, Stu, I I, I don't live very far from Norwalk, Connecticut, and I I frequent Stu Leonard's to get my stuff, you know, and, and I do notice the food inflation is there. But how pervasive is it? And do you think it will prevent people from spending more on Thanksgiving dinner or will consumers just eat the cost because they want to put on Thanksgiving dinner? Well, uh, first of all, Dom, I just want to say that I, uh, I'm honored that you go from the Fed chairman to like boots on the ground here. OK, we are right here. You can see we got our turkeys. We're just loaded and we're here listening to customers and, and what people are feeling. I would say you, you are right. You're probably going to get, you know, 10 percent roughly increase. But just to give you an example. OK, we have this dinner right here. It's, it's about twenty two dollars a head. You can serve eight people with this meal it's like thanksgiving in a box okay so it went up 10 percent. maybe it actually didn't increase the price we absorbed on this one but if it went up 10 percent, that's about two dollars okay now on the other hand here's your whole turkey this is about a 20 pounder 40 bucks okay everybody's going to be buying them now this is something our best seller is a ribeye steak okay this is what the restaurants, hotels, cruise ships, everybody wants this right now. Same price. OK, so you can either get this or you can get this at the same price. So there's certain foods to avoid right now, but you're going to feel a little bit more. But I want everybody to remember Thanksgiving is the least expensive holiday of the year. So, so Stu, I, I, this is this is interesting. I'd like to talk about the localization of markets because you mentioned that that tomahawk ribeye that you just showed us right there hasn't really gone up in price that much. Meanwhile, we're hearing all kinds of stories. It has, you're saying. Oh, it definitely has. Because we're seeing all kinds of stories about how certain foods are going up more than others, leading to substitution effects. So if I don't want to pay that much more for the steak, I will buy chicken or poultry instead. Are you seeing that kind of substitution effect happen at your at your locations? We're, we're definitely seeing that. And I was just talking to one of our uh, buyers this morning, and he said he's noticing there's certain products he can't get. He couldn't get some type of frozen beans. But you know what's nice? We're a family business. We book, book, book. We can operate quickly. We can find another frozen bean on the market. I think what customers are seeing with supply chain these massive 4,000 store chains have big distribution centers. They can't turn on a dime 
like a small family business again. So I would recommend everybody shop local. Okay, try to go to your your, your local food store if you can. Um, the second thing, and our chefs aren't going to like me to hear this, but you can make this whole meal half the cost if you made it yourself at home. Okay, so so make it this year. You know, try to do that. And and it's important right now to sit back and relax because, it, yeah, percentages may scare you that they're up, but it's not that much. So, Sue, I, I, to, to kind of put a point on this, the shop local thing has been a, 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 a point, a thesis for many consumers now for a while, and, and the supply chain issues have kind of brought it really front and center. It, can, can you tell us just how kind of di- difficult it is to have the supply chain issues that some other of your competitors might have versus maybe companies like yours or, or stores like yours that source food more locally? Is, is it better? Do you think that's a trend that sticks around that you think this supply chain crisis will lead more consumers to try to find the more predictable supply chains in their local stores? Well, one thing, the family businesses have been predictable for us, not only now, but during the pandemic last year. Uh, we talked to the farmer, we talked to the rancher, we talked to the fishermen, and then we can buy direct from them without distribution centers in the center. That means full shelves. So so it's good to shop local because chances are they may have direct connections with the different ranchers and so forth. So that that's an important thing right now. And, and I would encourage customers, if you want full shelves, you'll find full shelves out there. You may not get the brand you want. Uh, but you'll get the product. All right. Stu Leonard Jr. with the latest on the supply chain issue and the cost of Thanksgiving this year. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Hey, hey, we got an ice cream cone waiting for you. Free ice cream cone, Don. That's how you come to the store, okay? Stu, you know what I like? I, I like the Dole Whip, <laughs> the Dole Whip soft serve that you guys have. That's what I always get when I go there. <laughs> okay. All Thanks right. very Hope much. see you in the store. You got it. Thank you, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Stocks poised to kick off the holiday week on a strong note, as you can see. Advisors Capital's Joanne Feeney lays out what you need to watch as we start the home stretch of 2021. And if you have not already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange in this morning, 5 a.m. Eastern time slot, check us out on Apple or Spotify or the podcast apps. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If history is any guide, stocks should do well during the Thanksgiving holiday trading week. Check out this stat from Sam Stovall over at CFRA Research. He says since 1950, the last five trading days of November are traditionally positive. He says there's a two-thirds likelihood the market is up the day before Thanksgiving, a 57% chance it's positive on Black Friday, and 71% it's up next Monday. Let's welcome in Joanne Feeney, partner and portfolio manager at Advisors Capital Management. Joanne, we've been talking a lot of bullish narratives about just how seasonably strong this year can be. Do you feel as though you're that positive about the markets right now near record highs? Well, good morning, Dom. You know, I'd like to look a little bit more into the distant future for these sorts of things. You know, our investors tend to be longer term, but it's shaping up to be a good season because the consumer still remains very strong. The household balance sheets as high savings in it, despite the inflation, in fact, which has caused 
by those strong household balance sheets and the very strong consumer demand that we're seeing really does set the equity market up for a good uh, run. Inflation remains a risk. COVID remains a risk. Obviously, what we're seeing in Europe is pretty disturbing. But, you know, production continues to come back online. Look at the automakers, for example, and look at Williams-Sonoma's uh, results last week, which really reinforce that strength in the consumer, which I do think is uh, giving a number of stocks opportunities. But the market is a little bit on the expensive side, still supported by earnings. But really, I think investors at this point have to pick and choose. So, Joanne, see, uh, yeah, yeah, Joanne, I, I was saying, I mean, the, the, the strong consumer has been the, the, the underpinning for the global market, you could argue, the strong U.S. consumer for years now. Do you feel as though the supply chain issues are are largely behind us? Or do you feel as though they'll still put a crimp on some of those companies that do sell to that strong balance sheet U.S. consumer? I think the supply chain issues are easing a little bit from the data we're seeing. I mean, look at the shipping rates. They've come down dramatically. They're down back at uh, April levels, which is a very good sign. Semiconductor shortages are still out there, but apparently the auto industry, for example, is getting enough uh, to continue to produce in all of their factories at this point in North America. So things are clearly easing, but I think there's uh, still a long way to go. Europe clearly is a problem with potentially some more shutdowns going beyond Austria. So, you know, I think we have to really wait and see and be prepared and look for companies that can handle the cost increases and have the pricing power, like, for example, William Sonoma does, to be able to pass those on and maintain their margins. So, so Joanne, one of the industries or sectors that, that, that has pricing power or, or ha- is thought to have pricing power is technology. Is there, is there anything in your mind that, that tells you that the tech trade is something that continues to maybe power the markets? And if so, where do you find value there? Right. The advantage that tech has is that, first of all, it's usually not very labor intensive. So they're going to suffer a little bit less from rising wages. And some of the tech stocks that are out there really have uh, pretty attractive valuations. You know, look at a Qualcomm, for example, or a Broadcom. And both of those have strong multi-year secular drivers. And that is really what investors need to look for to power through these risks. Because those are the sorts of companies that aren't going to be disturbed that much, even if COVID you know, rears its ugly head more broadly around the world. And even if inflation picks up. So it's a good combination of secular growth, low wage pressure problems and, you know, opportunities to potentially expand margins. And that's a great combination for investors to look for. All right. And I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to a stock picker like yourself about the holiday shopping season. Do you feel retail beyond William Sonoma is still going to be something we should focus on? Yeah, you have to look at the different segments of the consumer population. Those at the low end really are going to be suffering from inflation. Yet some of them are now starting to get jobs for the first time in several months, and that's going to help their spending power. But if you look at a TJ Maxx bargain opportunity, so if there are some budget constraint problems for consumers, they're going to shop more there. A Target, we think, continues to do well. And, you know, beyond that, in consumer electronics, we should see a pretty good season this year with all that money piled into household bank accounts. Right. So, you know, we've hold, held a lot of these for a long time for our clients, and we continue to be pretty enthusiastic about some of the companies in that space. I mean, the, the consumer, it, it's, it's a, just amazing how the U.S. consumer has been so resilient throughout the course of the great financial crisis in the wake of uh, up until today, Joanne Feeney. Thank you very much. We appreciate your thoughts and your picks. Thanks, Tom. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Check out what's happening with the futures market right now. We are poised for some gains at the opening bell. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage for this holiday shortened trading week coming up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.